You have reached Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey, a ministry and podcast of the Discover Young Adults Ministry at the Preston Crest Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas. We meet at 945 on Sunday mornings, and we have small groups all throughout the week. We are located at Preston Road and Highway 635 in North Dallas. My name is Jacob Hawk. I'm the Young Adults Minister and the host of this podcast. It doesn't matter if you are single, dating, if you want to be dating, if you're married, if you want to be married, or if you're divorced, or if you're trying to figure out at what stage of life you are passing through. At the Discover Young Adults Ministry, we want to help you discover life, discover love, and discover the Lord. If I can help you or serve you in any way, or if I can pray for you, please email me at jacob at pressingcrest.org. Well, thank you for tuning in today again to Road Talk, Navigating Your Journey. This is associated with Preston Crest Church of Christ here in North Dallas, specifically with the Young Adults Discover Ministry, but we are discussing topics for all adults and all people that we really need to grapple with and wrap our minds around so we can better serve God and better understand what it is that He wants for our lives. This is now the third episode in a series that we've been doing this month on baptism. In the first episode, I kind of just gave a very brief overview about what baptism can do for the life of a believer. And last week, Boo Scott, who is the college minister with the Westside Church Christ in Norman, Oklahoma, joined us, and he told us a little bit about his journey to baptism, uh, growing up in a family that was really not a God-fearing family at the beginning years of his life, and hearing his story of how he came to know Christ and understand what baptism did for his life was really meaningful and inspirational. If you've not heard that, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to episode eight, which is the second episode in this series on baptism. But today uh, joining us is a good friend of mine and also a fellow minister here in the Dallas area, Robert Taylor, who serves the Waterview Church of Christ. He's been there for, I guess, about 20 years now, uh, working with the administration side of the church, but also evangelism. Uh, Robert is a very gifted teacher and preacher and a great biblical scholar. And I've asked Robert to come on today to talk with us about the topic of rebaptism. It usually comes up in different church circles when people start to ask questions like, uh, "Did I really know what I was doing when I get baptized? When I was baptized, or should I reconsider why I was baptized?" The first time, should there be a second time? What is baptism all about? And so, this topic of rebaptism, in many ways, can be just as important as baptism itself. And I wanted Robert to come on and talk with us a little bit about this important topic. Robert, we are glad to have you on the show today. I appreciate you asking me. Robert, tell us a little bit about yourself and your family as we get going. Well, I, as you said, I've been at Waterview 20 years as of a couple of weeks from now. And uh, I've been in full-time ministry for 45 years. I've preached for probably 27 or 30 of those who are, you know, uh, 30, 35 at least. And uh, I preach on a regular basis when, uh, when the preacher Jason Moon is out of town. Uh, I basically am the minister of, of uh, administration, the executive minister. People ask me what that means. And I always tell them this way. I said, that means I get the blame. <laughs> because uh, there's always somebody who has to make the rules and regulations and enforce them. And 
So that tends to be me, and it, sometimes it's a really thankless job, but hopefully I can do it well. Uh, so I have my we've been my wife and I have been married forty four years, and uh, we have two daughters and four grandchildren. Our first grandson came about a, a little over a year ago, so I feel very blessed. Well, I know you do a good job. I remember uh, when you came to Waterview, my dad was one of the elders there at Waterview, and I grew up at Waterview, and you're right. That is a uh, behind-the-scenes, many times thankless job, but it is so incredibly important for the life of a church to keep it operating smoothly, especially a large church like Waterview in the Dallas Mm -hmm. area. There's so many different things that people don't think about, and so I know they're thankful to have you, and I'm thankful that you've been there for all those years, I still love the Waterview Church very much. That's home for me. Um, so this topic of of rebaptism, I've got several questions for us today to think about, and we'll go to a text in just a few moments. For those who are listening to this, if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles to Acts 18, uh, the story of Aquila and Priscilla and them teaching Apollos, a native of Alexandria, we're going to discuss that in just a few moments. But before we get into the text, Robert, uh, in your experience, and obviously you've had a lot of experience, not just at Waterview, but in ministry in general, what warrants the need for rebaptism? Well, probably it is because of, uh, uh, the short answer is because it's been, it's been done for the wrong reasons or in the wrong way. Um, I, I, let me let me set it up this way. It, it's not a what I call a sacramental rite, which means a sacrament basically means whatever's in the in the head of the guy who's doing the work, the mm-hmm. uh, priest or whatever, and it, it's what's important, not the person in the baptistry, for instance. Uh, I knew I had a knew a guy one time. He he talked to somebody and said you need to be rebaptized. And his point was that whoever taught you had this different belief than you should have had. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not the best reason to do it. But there, baptism has a lot of misunderstandings with it. Um, for instance, the pictures there—they're buried uh, with him in baptism. You're, you have sins washed away. You are buried in a, and, and raised to the newness of life. All of those factors come into play when you need to talk about what exactly do I need to do next? Mm-hmm. If they don't match up, there needs to be a serious discussion about what it is because it needs to mirror the understanding of the nature of baptism of the apostles. The apostles taught baptism a certain way. They taught they taught salvation a certain way. And you see the picture played out, mm-hmm. for instance, in the book of Acts. And now there's, there's a lot of things you could do with that that we'll talk about a little bit later, but... Uh, if that doesn't match that, I think there needs to be some serious thought given to why did I do it and how did I do it and what did it mean to me when I did it? Those three big questions I think are there. Right. Those are some great insights. I loved what you said too about um, it's not about the person who's doing the baptizing, but the individual himself or herself who's getting baptized. Uh, I've known individuals in my life who were baptized in another faith tradition maybe in a tradition where that specific church did not baptize for the forgiveness of sins and then that individual was questioned about their baptism well are you sure it was done for the right reasons and I remember this individual telling me 
I don't care what that church said about my baptism. I know what I was doing. Mm -hmm. I know that, that I was baptized for the forgiveness of my sins. And so I may have been baptized in a church that taught it differently than for the reasons that I did it. And uh, Mm -hmm. that's a very good point. We can't just cast a widespread judgment that just because one individual was baptized in a certain place, that's why they did it on either side of either side of the coin. Yeah, I know um, that one of, the, one of the things that happened was that uh, I was in a foyer one day, this is probably 30 years ago, this guy comes up to me, he said, well, I've been baptized in the Baptist church, I've been baptized in the Presbyterian church, I've been baptized in the Methodist church, I guess I would have Church of Christ baptism too. <laughs> and I said, no, we need just to have a serious discussion about what baptism is, because right. you have a misunderstanding. And I think that's what the point is, yeah. that you got to do that. Very good. So this question was brought to my attention recently, actually, and I thought it was an excellent question. Um, and I'm kind of curious how you would answer it. And, and the following question is this question. Is there really such a thing as rebaptism or just getting baptized correctly? Well, it depends on your perspective. The, the, the act of going into the water and getting it done again would be rebaptism. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you can say because it wasn't done for the right reason, it really wasn't baptism. But if the core word of baptism means to plunge or to dip, and you were plunged or dipped for supposedly religious reason, mm-hmm. I'm going to put it that way, rather than you dove off a diving board in your swimming pool, but for a religious reason, you were, you were immersed or whatever, even sprinkled, then the question would be, is that baptism valid? And so... One way you can look at it is it is a rebaptism because you're going through some of the same things you did before. In a different way, it's not because it's not an, it's not the correct form of, or correct way to be baptized or for the correct reason. So this is a new baptism in the sense that it's taking on a new meaning mm-hmm. rather than just just repeating the old things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those are good points, and I think we see that with. Um the story we're going to look at in a moment in the text and also the story of John the Baptist. When they talk about the baptism of John, that does not uh, invalidate or invalidate that there was a baptism of John. It was still a baptism. It just wasn't the full baptism that Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus had in mind after he came and lived and died and was resurrected. So I appreciate your thoughts on that question. Yes, there is such a thing as rebaptism because it is the act of doing it again, um, but it may not have been for the right reasons. Okay, so a little bit of personal uh, experience here to answer this question. When have you seen rebaptism done well, and then when have you seen it be a disaster? Well, I'm always hesitant when somebody comes along and they say, now I was 10 years old when I was baptized. I didn't really understand what I was doing. Well, my, I hate to be facetious, but really my response is, did anybody know really everything right. they needed to know when they were baptized? The part of, part of baptism we need to understand is it is not an end point. We've always made it that in Churches of Christ, that now that we got you in the baptist, you got you out, you're done. We're, we're done with you. We move on to somebody else. Truth be told, it's not the end point. It's the beginning point. Mm-hmm. That's where your understanding begins to unfold. Now, there's some basic understandings that you have to have that we'll go into. But uh, at the same time, the, the most popular reason is because I, I, was, I was young enough, I didn't appreciate what I appreciate now. That's true about everybody. Mm-hmm. Now, so I would, I would probably change the conversation for that question. But there are those who honestly, and I've done this before, I had a, you know, this is especially true when the, when the 
the mode or the form of baptism is so dramatically different. For instance, if you're sprinkled as a baby, mm -hmm. if you're poured upon, those kinds of things, those tend to be more uh, distinct from from immersion, for instance. So it's those are the ones that you come to people and you ask that question. Now, here's let's let's read these passages mm -hmm. and the passages, you know, Acts two thirty eight. Um, Acts 8, the Ethiopian nobleman, uh, uh, Paul uh, being told to arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Passages like the Romans 6, where there's the, the burial mm -hmm. and, and the raising the new life. That once you go through all this, says, now, did that, is that what happened to you? Did you do that? And under those conditions, I've had a lot of people go, no, I really haven't. I said, now that you know what you know, that's different. What do you think you need to do? About uh, most people, if they're being honest, and most of them are, I think, will say, "Okay, it's time for me to, to be rebaptized." That's not true about everybody, but uh, there's a there's a guy, a good friend of mine, in fact, and this was this happened to him. Uh, he he had been baptized in a different religious tradition. And I remember I, I said, why don't we just study together? And so we sat down for this study. And I remember it, it was one night and I sat there across the table from him and, and he started and he looked at me and he said, I want you to understand something right now. I am not going to be rebaptized. Do you understand mm -hmm. that? Mm -hmm. And at that point I started thinking, this is going real well. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but what I told him was, I said, understand something. You may not need to be. I said, I wasn't there. I don't know your heart. Only you know your heart, and only God knows your heart. Right. I said, and that, that's fine if, if you're good with that and honestly can say that, you know, I'm not going to push you to do anything that shouldn't be done. And I sat back, and, and there must have been two full minutes of silence there. And all of a sudden, he says, he, he lifts his head and he says, well, maybe I do need to think about doing that. <laughs> well, see, I didn't push him. It, it, right. the, the worst time, you've got to be, we, we're not going to, you've got to be rebaptized. I think those are the worst case scenarios. It's when someone examines the text, they see what they're like, they put it against it, then they will have this idea that that's exactly what I need to do, hmm. not something that you're telling me I need to do. Perfectly, perfectly said. Yeah, and back to that question, when is it done well? Well, you know it's done well when the text is what's driving that decision and mm -hmm. the uh, pointing to scriptures driving that decision, not personal opinions or preferences or doctrines of specific uh, churches. One thing, Robert, that I'm sure you've probably done this as well, but Robert Oglesby taught me this, and I know that you were kind of trained by Oglesby to a certain extent as well. Um, whenever I've studied with people, and it comes time for them to make the decision to be baptized before we actually have the baptism one thing i ask them to do is to grab a sheet of paper and date it mm -hmm. uh the date of that particular day and just write out at that time their understanding of what they're doing and then put it away in a safe place where they know where it is where 20 mm -hmm. 30 years down the road they start having these thoughts and questions what was i thinking that day they could mm -hmm. go back and find the literal sheet of paper that tells them this mm -hmm. is exactly what I thought I was doing. 
and yeah. then they can evaluate it with real evidence as to whether or not they were ready. Yeah, you can objectify it at that point. The problem when people start questioning, they're using a very subjective sense of saying, well, I don't feel the right way. Well, that's a fickle sense. And so you need to have some way of objectifying. I think it's a good way of doing it. Mm-hmm. And I think about the rebaptisms I've seen in 11 years of ministry, which are obviously much less than you've seen in your 45 or so. Um, I've never seen a rebaptism take place on a Sunday morning, which I think is kind of mm-hmm. cool. True that it's more of the biblical example of they realize that very hour of the night they need to do Mm -hmm. something. And so the rebaptisms I've seen have been during the middle of the day or late at night where it's just Mm -hmm. me and the family uh, in the auditorium. And I think that speaks to the nature of the authenticity of it as well. It does. Yeah. One of the the real issues I think that people need to ask themselves if they're really thinking, do I need to be rebaptized? This is a very practical issue. Were you baptized because Jesus wanted to, because you wanted to, or were you doing it because of the expectation of someone else? Mm-hmm. Whether it be the preacher, the elders, the youth minister, uh, your grandmother, uh, somebody, if somebody's pushing you to, to be rebaptized, you probably need to step away because you're not, you're not thinking about, if you were baptized the first time that way, in fact, if somebody pushed you into it, you might want to reconsider right. that. But the, the question I would ask is, did you do this on your own or did you do this for somebody else? Right. And I think that's an important question to ask. Excellent question. Well, let's get into the text. If you're listening with us today, we are in Acts 18. Uh, This is the story again of this powerhouse ministry couple, Aquila and Priscilla, who better teach this man named Apollos about baptism or at least teach him about it more fully. I'm going to pick up Robert in verse 24. I'll read to mm-hmm. verse 28 just for those who are listening. It says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. On arriving, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So there's this great leader named Apollos. There's this great ministry couple named Aquila and Priscilla. They hear Apollos teach. They say, this guy is dynamic, very talented, but there's something obviously missing that he doesn't understand. And it deals with the baptism of John. So, Robert, first question I have, why is it important? Uh, Luke tells us this in verse 24 why is it important that luke mentions that apollos was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures uh first of all i think it tells us about his background that he is not someone who just kind of wandered in there and said uh oh by the way i don't know anything about jesus i don't know anything about god he's not starting from that position he's starting Mm -hmm. from a very learned position in fact he has accumulated knowledge in it tells us he came from Alexandria, and Alexandria was, was one of the intellectual centers of the age, so he probably knew a lot of philosophy, as well as, as the, the Law of Moses very well. 
this is not a guy who, who needs a great amount of teaching. He already knows a lot. Mm-hmm. And so it does this learning about him is, uh, it, it was, it's distinct because it also shows us that he was not a novice. He wasn't ignorant because he was, he was teaching things. So he had come to conclusions and, uh, those conclusions were pretty strong because he was, he was hard to match from what we can tell. And so that required a, quite a measure of, of the knowledge and its implication for, for its truth. So. Sure. And it also, I think, speaks to his humility that mm-hmm. even though he did know a lot and was very well-read and well-versed, he was open to being taught. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. that's a good lesson for life that you may be very knowledgeable, but you never stop learning. Mm-hmm. And when someone kind of has this attitude, well, I know it all. What do you have to teach me? That gets them into a lot of trouble. I'm glad you mentioned Alexandria, um, researching that myself. I read yesterday that some estimate historians and archaeologists and that group, they they estimate that there could have been as many as a million Jews living in Alexandria. So not only a very strong intellectual community, but very strong religious community uh, as part of Paul's heritage of being a fellow Jew. And now he's teaching about Jesus. So he's come to learn about Jesus, but he hasn't gotten everything that he needs to know. Um, We hear this often in our world, and I want to talk about this question about, okay, well, as long as we agree on Jesus, then that's what's most important. And to a certain extent, I think that that's a fair assessment, but... Obviously, from this text and from this story, just knowing about Jesus is not all there is to it. So, Robert, if someone said to you, a good understanding of Jesus is not the full counsel of God, would you say that's true? And and why or why not would you answer that way? Uh, I think it's true that they're not the same. Uh, but, again, you don't need the complete mental, spiritual encyclopedia to have the whole counsel of God. The the problem is when people address that question, it is it is true but insufficient. Let's put it that way. Jesus is very important. He's the center of everything, and we do need to think and agree on Jesus. The problem you get into is, is the next question is then if you do, what's the implication and what does Jesus ask us to do? I think there's therein lies what Apollos's problem. He had the first part. Mm-hmm. He would agree that Jesus was, I think he was probably teaching that Jesus was a miracle worker. I think because of his connections with John, I think John's, uh, Jesus' involvement with John and, and him being the one who was coming after John probably played a lot into the, the preaching that Apollos had. Um, but at the same time, he didn't know the next step. And the, the, the problem is a little, a knowledge is a dangerous thing. Right. For instance, I know the principles of of how rockets work, but you don't want to put two guys on top of one that I built <laughs> because because I know enough to be dangerous. Mm-hmm. And, and that's true about a lot of things. Just because you know and you agree with certain basic principles doesn't mean that you're quite there yet. You need to take one more step and say, now, then what do I do with this information? Now, that's, I think that's what... Apollos was lacking. That was the gap in his knowledge. It wasn't that what he did know, it's what he didn't know that was important. Right. 
And I think another story in the book of Acts that really illustrates this in a little bit different way, but it's the same truth, same message, is the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, in Acts chapter 8, you know, they're riding along. Divinely, Philip shows up to meet this eunuch, a uh, wealthy man from Ethiopia. And uh, the guy's reading from the book of Isaiah, and he asked Philip, tell me, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And Luke, when he records the story, tells us in verse 35 that then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. So that's always intrigued me if you look at that story closely. They're talking about Jesus from Isaiah 53, but somehow they go from Isaiah 53 to baptism. And in between that bridge is the good news of Jesus. So to understand the good news of Jesus includes a correct understanding of baptism. And we, we see that take place here in Acts 18 with Aquila and Priscilla and Apollos. This guy has a good understanding of Jesus, but not a full understanding because his understanding of baptism is a little bit skewed, and they need to correct that. So for people listening to this and may not uh, know the difference, what was the baptism of John compared to our baptism today as Christians? It's interesting that Apollos... Uh, the, the baptism of John is one of those thorny issues that, uh, I don't know, it's, it's hard to, to get your head around because it, John baptized unto repentance, for, for repentance unto the forgiveness of sin. All those, all those words run together create problems, especially if you leave out the middle one. What I take, and this is just my interpretation of John's baptism, he was baptizing people on the basis of, I will try to do better. And if you try to do better, then somewhere God will take care of that. When you come to the baptism of Jesus, is I, I cannot do better. I only ha- I have to have the the blood wash away the sins. Mm-hmm. There's those are distinct differences. And uh, John, all he could really offer in his preaching, he couldn't offer anything of a sacrifice. All he could offer is, if you will do better, God will bless you. Right. But Jesus came along and said, "Then we're going to we need to do something else there as well." So mm-hmm. it's a it, it's kind of an interesting problem there that we have uh, the the difficulty of, of the of John's baptism because they look very much alike. I mean, John immersed in water because Jesus goes down to the Jordan River and he's dipped in the Jordan River. Um, it's a large pool. We know that the. Christian baptism is connected with repentance as well. The difference seems to be that uh, forgiveness of sins takes place because of the name of Christ, not because of the name I'm doing better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you also have the involvement of the Holy Spirit that we see in Acts chapter two, verse thirty-eight, that that John can't <laughs> provide yeah, the exactly. gift of the Holy Spirit the way that, the way that baptism into Jesus does. Right. Um, and so it's a big enough deal that. Uh, Aquila and Priscilla pull Apollos aside and say, all right, we need, we need to talk about this a little bit more. And so I want to spend a couple of minutes talking about that. If we diagnose that there is a problem in someone's understanding of baptism, um, it tells us here in the text that Aquila and Priscilla take Apollos into their home to have mm-hmm. this conversation. Why is that significant? 
first of all, they, they understood that this is not something you do in public. They didn't stand up in front of when he sang says, you, did you know that you're not, you're not a hundred percent right. Mm-hmm. That's really a poor way of doing things mm-hmm. to confront people publicly. Mm-hmm. But the other is it's, 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 I think it says it's going to take some time and it's going to take some privacy and it's going to be a come let us reason together type situation rather than something cut and dried. And, and I take the, that home experience to mean that they were, they, were, they were trying to also be his friend. They were trying to, I mean, they're showing hospitality. And I think that's part, I mean, if, if you want a practical angle to this, it, the practical angle is if you want to teach somebody, you don't go bust them in the chops. You invite them to your home and you, have a, you become friends and you talk about what you mutually can understand. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what Priscilla and Aquila's great strength is in this, is they are the kind of people who are warm and inviting and genuine who will bring them into the home and say, you know, this, this, let's just look at this. I think that's a really powerful statement in this, mm-hmm. in this past. That's so well said. And like your example earlier, you don't address this problem in a church foyer or in a committee meeting or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the auditorium. It, this is a one-on-one across, across the table in someone's house, and it's amazing how many big stories in Scripture take place around a table. There's That's something right. about getting someone's feet under your table that improves that relationship. The Lord's Supper we refer to today is gathering around the Lord's table. There's power in a table. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is another good example, too, when we discuss gender roles in the church. Uh, Priscilla's doing just as much teaching in this as Aquila yeah. is. Uh, there's not a Okay, come over to the house, and Priscilla's going to get us some Sarah Lee pie and bring us coffee. You know, she she's yeah. involved in this because this is important, and this is a great example of how women lead in the church as well. Yeah, and that's a case where you know it's obviously that this is a very private setting, and in private setting, it's, it's a whole different than a public setting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, Luke tells us when they get to the house, they explain to him the way of God more accurately. I just mm-hmm. picture through that statement, though they don't have the Bible as we had the Bible. I mean, they had the Bible open and a finger on a verse. Like that was the, yeah. that was the standard for their conversation. It was not, uh, Apollos, let me tell you about what my grand grandparents taught me about baptism or what my church teaches about baptism. It was, what does God say about this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and Luke also tells us that Aquila and Priscilla, they are astute enough and take the initiative on their own that they are the ones who make the invitation to Apollos. Why is that significant? Well, I, I, I think, first of all, they recognize that he doesn't know enough to know he doesn't know enough mm. that way. There's, I, I think there's something in this passage that, that says he's genuinely, in fact, it says he talked he taught accurately. Mm-hmm. And that's a word that he's mindful and that he doesn't distort. He's trying to do the best he can. They recognize a place in his gap that they could help fill. And so they made the invitation based upon that, not about you're wrong, but let's look at what you, know, you talk to this and what's wonderful. What about these things over here? And I think that, I think that the invitation for them is, is to, is more to explore where we are. And it sounds like they told him, but I don't think that's what that really says. Mm-hmm. I think what that says is they came and they they shared together what they knew. Paulus probably shared what he knew, 
And then they said, well, what about this, 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 and this? And he said, I didn't know about that. Now, I know that's filling in gaps, but that appears to be the gap that's taking place here. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, there, and so the invitation is not to come for us to tell, set you, set you right. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've heard about preachers who they go into churches and they go, they hired me to, 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 <laughs> to set you folks right. You know, that's the shortest tenure in history yeah. when you do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a case where we don't want to set you right. We want you to find out what you need to do, mm-hmm. and then you do what you need to do. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's more of the spirit of the invitation. Great point. And I'm sure we don't have this in the text and the story, but I'm sure Aquila and Priscilla, just inferring by the type of people that they were, would have readily admitted, hey, in this, this discussion, we taught Apollo some things from Scripture, but he probably taught us some things, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he had something good to offer. He had some good insights we needed to hear. And so it was a team effort of us all trying to figure out the way of God uh, more adequately. Yeah. yeah, one of the interesting things in this passage is that in, when it talks about Apollos preaching, he taught accurately. And the word there is the same word that's used by Priscilla and Aqu- that's for Priscilla and Aquila, teaching more accurately. In other words, whatever his knowledge was, they were giving him more of it. And, and whatever his, he was mindful of, he became more mindful once they, they discussed this. So I think it's kind of an interesting mm-hmm. uh, play there. Mm-hmm. And we thank God for people like Aquila and Priscilla, and I've had people like that in my life, I'm sure you have too, Robert, that recognize at times when a little bit of iron needs to be sharpened a little bit more, and we can't go through life just thinking and hoping that one day they'll figure this out on their own. If we mm-hmm. see if we see something that needs to be, I want to use the words improved instead of corrected, I think that's a lot better tone. If we see something that needs to be improved or educated, we've got to step into those shoes and fulfill that role mm-hmm. and not just look the other direction and wait for someone else to do it. And I, I love that about this story that Aquila and Priscilla, they're new to the area. They've moved, they're new to Ephesus and then they still take the initiative, come on into our home. Were you about to say something? I saw no, a facial no. gesture. Okay. All right. I, I want to you. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, last last few questions here. We'll make it more practical um, rather than abstract, though. I think this is a good example in, in Scripture of this taking place. But if someone is listening to this today and they're wanting to know, okay, well, how do I know if I'm a candidate for rebaptism? What would you tell them? Well, first of all, I'd ask them, I, they, they need to ask themselves some questions. I think the questions are, uh, like these, did it match? Did they do what the apostles did? Because the, the premise is that the apostles were closest to Christ, and when they followed him and taught what he taught them, what we have in the New Testament flows out of them. That. that is closest to the exact teaching of Jesus we can get mm-hmm. in, in some, of, some of these areas. So if we, if we do what the disciples did, we will become what? Uh, then we will become Christians like they were. And that's the premise of this. And so does it match what they did? Did it, did it look like the woman, for instance, on Pentecost? Did it wash away your sins? I think that's a big question. Uh, because there are a lot of people that they go, I think, yeah, I, I think it did. How do you know it? And there are some things that have to be done. Was it a burial or Is that what it looked like? Now, there are people who say, but this does, that really doesn't make any difference. That's just... Um, a judgment call, but that's the problem. It is a judgment call. It's a human judgment call, and we we have at best 50-50 approach to that uh, in terms of our salvation, our eternity. 
and it it may just be what men men or, or teachers taught you you agree to. That's part of the part of the difficulty of that. I think the second part of this course is not does it just match, but what did you understand? Um, did you repent? You know that, that, that's for in, uh, in Acts two thirty eight in the day of Pentecost, repentance was a big deal, and it, it apparently is to Paul because he's blind and he's begging to figure out what to do to get rid of all this stuff. Um, you know, what did you believe about Jesus? And what did you think it was going to do for you? When you came out of the baptism, how are you going to be different than when you went in? Um, because purpose is everything. Uh, because, you know, it, as Paul would say, the Colossians, it, it was, you were buried with him and raised by the power of your faith, by, by your faith in his power. I mean, the power of God's what cleanses you. So if you don't have that purpose behind you, you kind of, kind of mess that that up a little bit so but you got to be honest with these mm -hmm. the biggest problem you get into i think when people need to ask the question do i need to be rebaptized?" is a certain amount of self-honesty one of the things i appreciate about Apollos in the passage we looked at today is that Apollos apparently was one of these people who were open to the fact that he didn't know everything mm -hmm. he didn't know need to know some things perhaps there were gaps in his knowledge Perhaps there were gaps in his understanding of what he did. And I think that sense of you know, spiritual integrity and honesty is what it's going to take to really get to the bottom of this. It's You can pile scriptures up all you want to and people go, no, I don't believe you or I don't think that's right or that's just your interpretation. But if you get really honest with yourself and you start asking all those questions, uh, you, I, I think those are important things that, that have to, if you're thinking about it, Go back through it. Go back to the text. Go through those passages. Ask yourself, did I do it like this and for this reason? Right. And when you get down to the end of it, you will clarify the water and decide one way or another. And as I told my friend, I don't know what was in your heart. Only you and God knew what's in your heart. And so you have to make that decision based upon what you know about who you were and what you were doing and then proceed according. Right. Man, that's so well said. Uh, matching it up with scripture and then having the spiritual integrity to evaluate your own your own life and your own heart one thing i'd like to add to that um you're never a candidate for rebaptism, and you may disagree with this robert if you do i'd like to hear your thoughts but you're never a candidate for rebaptism just because you feel guilty about mm -hmm. something you've done in your life because we're always going to do something that makes us feel guilty and every time mm -hmm. something comes up where you feel just like you've let the Lord down, the solution is not to get back into the baptistry. And I think some people think that it is that, you know, I've just I've lived a terrible few years here and I've let God down in so many ways. So I need the blood of Jesus to forgive me again. The blood of Jesus forgives everything you've done, you're doing now and will do in the future. And that's the peace that we can have through Christ. You know, that's what John says, First John, he talks about that the blood of Christ continually cleanses us from sin. Mm -hmm. And that puts, baptism puts you in a condition. It, it doesn't, it affects your past, but it affects your present and your future, too. Mm -hmm. And that's what most people think about. It's, we tend to talk about baptism as a, something that deals with your past. The truth is, it doesn't deal with just your past. It deals with your identity and how you're going to go forward with this. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's kind of like I, I like the story of Constantine. Constantine, the first um, Christian emperor, 
uh, he had this weird idea that said uh, you're only that you're only good, you're only good for one sin after baptism, so make it the right time. Uh, kind of weird, but so he was going to delay himself until the very end of his life being baptized, so that he would not have to deal with the problem. Mm-hmm. So he got really sick though. And they had to rush him to the River Jordan because that was another thing he believed. It had to be in Jordan. Mm-hmm. They rushed him to the River Jordan and baptized him because they thought he was going to die. Before, and he almost died before he got there. So that's the same kind of thing. Don't don't take baptism as the way of, of alleviating your, your guilt. There are other methods after baptism that you need to deal with on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but baptism is what gives you the opportunity and the ability to do those things after baptism that you don't have to be rebaptized. Right. And maybe a big issue for a lot of people is not a misunderstanding of baptism, but as you've said several times now, it's a misunderstanding of repentance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they go hand in hand. Uh, one continually happens over and over and over again. You don't just repent once. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if we have a better understanding of repentance, it may give us a little bit more peace about the baptism. We experienced it at one point. Um in our life. So we'll end with this question, Robert. Uh, obviously I would love to visit with anyone who's listening to this that has questions about baptism. You can email me at Jacob at pressandcrest.org or I'm sure Robert would entertain an email. Robert, what's your best yeah. email? Uh, R Taylor at waterview.org. Okay. So you can go to pressandcrest or waterview for some information about baptism. But if someone wants to keep it in the confines of their local congregation. Robert, what would you recommend for first steps for someone who wants to really dig into this and wrap their minds around it some more? Well, one thing, this is hard to do on your own. I'm going to tell you why, because it's hard to be so objective that you hold yourself to the standard. But one thing is I would suggest you you start looking at what the New Testament says about baptism. I mean, the passage of how was it done? What was it for? Uh, who should be baptized and when? <clears throat> those, those, those are basic questions. Um, and it could be you need to find a good friend that you trust mm-hmm. who can, you can bounce this off of because most of us are are smitten with our own ideas and that we got this thing right and I can dismiss it quickly. And sometimes it needs a little bit of accountability there. And so have a good conversation with yourself. Where are you spiritually? Um, not just about feeling, how you feel at this moment, um, but when you throw your life up against the text that you read, what, how does it come out? The, the, what shape does it take? Mm-hmm. Uh, does it take the shape of what the text says, or is, is, it, is it kind of morphed into something else? Um, you might ask the question next step, okay, um, as one of the questions I asked earlier, did you do, did you, why did you do it? Who did you, who did, you do it for? Mm-hmm. I think is a question everybody needs to probe if you're struggling with that, because a lot of the questions that we have problems with in baptism have to do with the fact that we have a significant person in our life that we were trying to please. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that's wrong. Well, obviously, my parents were, were proud the day that I was baptized. The church was happy the day I was baptized. But that's not why I was baptized. Mm-hmm. Why I was baptized was because I believed in Jesus Christ, and the only way to have my sins taken away and become a Christian was to be immersed in the water. That's the reason. 
but those other things are, are there, but which one was the most important? And I say, don't fool yourself, because I know that one of the big problems is, especially for people who come, come to worship a lot, and they hear the preaching, all of a sudden, as they hear the preaching, they, they, re- they rewrite the history of their mind. Mm-hmm. Go, oh, that's what I did, because we will snap to what we consider to be the right thing. I think at that point, you really have to separate yourself out and be pretty tough on yourself. Is that really true? Or did I get, or am I resolving this to where it's the easiest thing I can do? Right. And, you know, that's, I think that's, those are some of those next steps you got to take. Right. That is so well said. And obviously from many uh, years of experience. Robert, thank you for taking your time today to be on this show. And I want to end today the way that we end every episode. First of all, I want to remind you to keep your eyes on heaven. And secondly, also remind you that along this journey of life, there will be road work along the way. But here at Road Talk, we want to help you get ready by navigating your journey. We hope you have a great week, and God bless you. We look forward to talking with you next time.